Well, hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't, today's May the 18th, 2022. This is episode 3096 of the Survival Podcast. It's Wednesday, that's interview day. And uh, we have a special guest coming on in just a moment. His name is Jacob Johnson. He's a podcaster himself. He has a show called the Rise to Liberty podcast, and we'll be talking about the current state of the liberty movement. This one will be more from a political bent, and you guys know me. That's not my thing. I walked away from politics a long time ago when it comes to fighting for liberty. I prefer to go do stuff. In fact, my uh, my cover photo for today's episode is a quote by Henry David Thoreau. Disobedience is the true foundation of liberty. The obedient must be slaves. That's the approach I take. So why bring somebody on that's not involved with the actual Libertarian Party and things like that? Because I think it's important that we get views and opinions from other people. There's a lot of things that are thrown out uh, at the Survival Podcast and me, right? Um, and accusations and things like that. One of them that is absolutely not true, though, is that TSPC as a community is an echo chamber. We're a very diverse group of people. All one need to do is come to one of our workshops. People that are so committed that they give up a significant portion of time to be around each other, and it, it's not free. It's a significant financial investment to come to a workshop. And you see incredible diversity in, in people by age, by race, by demographic, Uh, by sex, and everybody gets along. But it's certainly not an echo chamber. There's a lot of discussions that are somewhat, you know, disagreements. They're, they're cordial disagreements, but they're disagreements. We're not an echo chamber. I've said since the beginning of this show that it is one man's opinion, not a lecture or a sermon. And I think sometimes when people tell me, well, you're wrong, and here's what I don't agree with, and I say, well, I, I think you're wrong, here's what I don't disagree with, that wasn't, means they weren't heard. Being heard doesn't mean that people just lay down and take your word for what you said. I'm convicted in my beliefs. So it's reasonable that you're going to have to do more than just say you're wrong or you're stupid to get me to change my mind. Um, that's, that's, that does not mean that you weren't heard. That does not mean that your opinion didn't matter. And I think we really need to make sure that we are looking at all sides of things. I also know there's some of y'all that they, you listen to this show and you vote. I don't ever tell you not to. I just tell you why I don't. And then people get really triggered and angry about it, right? I've never once told anybody not to vote. I, I don't have a right to tell you that, in my opinion. I have told you that most of you that vote believe that your vote counts and that it doesn't. That mathematically you can't make a case to me that I would that anything would change in the state of Texas or the United States of America if Jack Spirico went out and dutifully every two years voted. And no one's made a mathematical case to me. Doesn't mean I'm right. I've actually never said voting doesn't matter. I said my vote doesn't count. And the way I look at that is I can do a lot more in my actions, in my words, than I can by voting. Does that mean that voting doesn't count in the mass? No, it doesn't mean that. So I guess there's probably going to be some conversation about voting today and the LP and local office and things like that. 
And if you're like, that's not Jack's thing, you're right. And a lot of times when I bring a guest on, it's not really in my wheelhouse for my thing. That's why I bring the guest on to talk about something that I won't do as good a job on. I will always want to serve you. So that's, that's why when I got Jacob's request, I didn't just accept it. I was like, this is great. We haven't really talked about this in a long time. And maybe we should. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is the Wealth Steading Podcast. One of the things I believe that you can do in your life to have more freedom and liberty is to build more wealth. And if you want to know how to do that, you really want to listen to the Wealth Steading Podcast with John Pugliano. You can learn more at wealthsteading.com. And if you, if you want my opinion, he's one of the best minds on investment and finance there is. I'm grateful we've been working together in one capacity or another now for over a decade. He serves on the expert council. He does a good job for us there, you know, talking about investing in wealth building strategies. But he's also a prepper. He's a real actual prepper that actually preps, not a prep tender. Uh, he's also a ham radio guy and he answers questions about that too. But if you want to get the skinny, on wealth, not just every week or every other week when he's on TSP or his occasional interviews here. Get over to the Wealth Studying Podcast, and they're brief, they're to the point, and they'll help you learn more. Next up, how about taking your digital sovereignty back? Do you know how you can do that? You can do that with a Start9 Embassy server, and right now Start9 has really on a track toward upgrading and having better solutions than they even had when we brought them on last winter. Uh, Start9 has some new boxes. Some of them are not available yet, but they're order, they're available for pre-order. Basically, you install this little server in your house, and you can use an app on your phone to set up and configure everything. You can run a Lightning node. You can run a Bitcoin node on them. You can set up your own encrypted, end-to-end -end encrypted chat services that are absolutely unbreakable. And you can even offer the ability for people to just sign up like they would for any chat service or text message service through your server so your friends and family can use your server. You can back up all your images. You can run truly encrypted email. You can do this all with a little bitty box that sits on your desk, plugs in, and you can get it up and running in just a few minutes. Even I was able to get it up and running. Now, some of the configurations and setups and stuff require a little bit of learning. I don't want you to think you just turn it on and it does everything by itself without you telling it what to do, but you don't have to be able to lay down a line of code or anything like that. And if you take a day and really work on it, you can get it to do anything and everything you want. And Start9 just keeps adding more apps that will do more things for you all the time. So take back your digital sovereignty. Learn how to do it at Start9.com. And you're, if you're an MSB member, The discount we have with Start9, nobody else has it. And that discount will pay your membership fee for about three years on one of their servers. So check them out, but also save your money. And if you're not a member yet and you're like, I want one of these Start9 things, join the MSB because it's instantly profitable. And if you don't do that, well, even if you don't like me, you also hate money. Don't hate money or money will hate you. With that, let's bring our special guest on again, Jacob Johnson from the Rise to Liberty podcast. And we are live with today's episode of the Survival Podcast, folks. I want to welcome our special guest, Jacob Johnson, from the Rise to Liberty Podcast. Jacob, thanks for joining us today on TSBC. Thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, this is a great honor. Well, I'm really excited to get to talk to you about the Liberty Movement, its current state, the work that you're doing. Uh, my approach and your approach are a little bit different. You're more in the weeds with the politics. I'm more out here trying to stay out of jail doing whatever the hell I want. <laughs> um, and I said during my intro segment that 
that that's a good thing that I try to bring on different differing points of view. And I think we need people pushing, you know, from the inside and pulling on the outside in the more anarcho space. But before we dig into that, who the heck is Jacob? Like, take us back like you're spacing out in high school study hall trying to get up the courage to ask a girl out or some shit. And you end up as a podcaster and in the liberty movement. What's the what's the elevator speech connection between those two worlds? So I was actually exposed to libertarianism uh, towards the end of high school, thanks to Ron Paul. Um, right. It was about uh, my junior year. Uh, I actually saw Ron Paul uh, when, when he was running in, uh, let's see, 2008 for president. Um, saw him in a High Times advertisement. Uh, I picked up a High Times magazine, and um, that that's where I first saw him. And at, at first, I thought it was, at that point, political suicide to be advocating for the legalization or decriminalization of marijuana. So I, w- I was blown away. Um, I started listening to him more and started getting more into, uh, you know, the, the Austrian economics. Um, volunteerism is, is really what um, attracted me to this whole thing. So unlike most people that I come across, um, I, I was actually introduced to this very early. Uh, okay. Part of it, part of it has to do with how I was raised. Um, you know, I was, I was raised with a country family. I was raised to always question everything. And, uh, even if I thought I was right, still need to question myself. And, uh, you know, it kind of just, it was almost like I was, uh, born to go down this path. Gotcha. It's interesting how many people's stories that I've talked to over the years on this show. When I say, how did you get into what you're into? If it has anything to do with liberty, not even necessarily directly, but like people that are doing regenerative farming outside the system. All. Well, I went to this Ron Paul thing or I saw Ron Paul or somebody <laughs> sent me a Ron Paul video. Uh, there's definitely some of that in my backstory, too. And it's interesting. You know, you say the way you were raised. Everybody thinks I was probably raised like a diehard conservative or something like that. And my family were freaking blue dog Democrats. I mean, I'm my my legal name's John, but I'm called Jack because my dad was too, and my dad was John called Jack because my my grandparents thought JFK was God, right? <laughs> so I mean that's that yeah. I think that we all find our own walk. And but I was raised in the country, and even if you are a true believer in one side of the system, you know the working man's Democrat. And to be fair, it was a different Democrat in in 1970 than it is today. Very um, much. There is still that skepticism. You know, you grow up in Appalachia, somebody that moved there 10 years ago is still a newcomer. You, you, you got to earn your way in. So I think there's some healthy skepticism there. Um, but you ended up choosing the Libertarian Party. So there's big L Libertarian Party LP. There's small L. That's usually code for a Republican trying to convince you they're not a rhino. Um, and then there is true small L libertarianism. There's purist libertarianism, which is, you know, where I come from in the anarcho space, but with sticking with politics, what made you decide I'm going to anchor down with the LP over uh, two dominant parties that control everything? So for a long time, I was, I was small L, you know, I, I thought I could live the principles, uh, talk about the principles, um, 
whenever it came up, voted libertarian, you know, in any uh, midterm or general election. And honestly, it, it was the last three years. Um, I, I say that the specifically the last two years um, wasn't a realization of how bad things were. It, it was just a straight radicalization. Okay. Um, so I, I had never wanted to be involved in a party. Um, and then I saw how far the hunger for absolute control will go. And they, people who uh, are calling the shots, they will not stop until some, something or somebody gets destroyed. Most likely them in the pursuit of that ultimate power. And we were all paying the price for it. Uh, I didn't see too many people standing up. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's do it then. Uh, from that, I have since organized my county affiliate. Um, I am currently running for state representative in the state of Utah. Um, I work very closely with the state party. Um, I am actually a member of and a state organizer for the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. Um, and I do the podcast and everything else. So I've just kind of jumped in with both feet and just hitting it hard, honestly. What do you say to people? I, I was very frustrated by the, by this when I was, there was a time I was deeply involved with libertarian politics. I ran for office here in the state of Texas as a libertarian. And I would always get accused then of being what I am now, an anarchist. And, and I, <laughs> I would now say all anarchists are libertarians, but not all libertarians are anarchists. And I have an answer for this next question. It's probably different than someone that's more of a minarchist, but um, I still get accused of this. Like, well, if you were in charge, yeah, well, first of all, you don't understand what I want if you think I want to be in charge. But then everybody <laughs> would just do whatever they want, and we would have chaos, and there'd be armed gangs running the streets, and uh, yep. little children would be thrown out of helicopters, and uh, you know, everybody would own their own nuclear cruise missiles, and Everybody would be strung out on drugs in the street, taking a dump. Oh, wait, that's San Francisco. Anyway, you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> yeah. um, that everything would just be awful if we let everybody do what they wanted to do. How do you respond to people? That, that I'm sure you get that thrown at you. All the time. So um, in the liberty movement, I mean, I am an anarcho-capitalist. Um, no government, strictly free market. No regulated market at all. Um, so I I get it from uh, all sides of the liberty movement. Um, the way I approach people like that, first of all, I like to take the Ron Paul approach. So if if we make heroin legal tomorrow, are you gonna, going to go out and start doing heroin? <laughs> like, no, you're not. Uh, I guarantee most everyone in the chat is not going to either. Um and the people that are, are doing it right now, and yeah. the law doesn't prevent it, right? I mean, Plato said that uh, good people don't need laws to tell them how to act responsible, and bad people will find a way around them. So it it's uh, a, an institution of man is not going to prevent uh, bad things from happening. Um, just like with law enforcement, they, they don't prevent crimes. They... Um, come after a crime has already been committed. So they're, they're a response after the crime. Um, 
So it's, it kind of depends on how somebody approaches me about it. Uh, the first thing I will say is that having to have an answer for every little thing is intellectually dishonest. Agreed. Nobody can tell the future. Yeah. Um, I like to use the analogy that, you know, in the 1860s when slavery was being abolished, uh, there's no way that anybody foresaw the farming equipment that we would have today. They, they had no clue who was going to pick the cotton, but they knew it was wrong and they knew they needed to end it. So we don't have have to have solutions. You know, the other side of that story I always try to tell people is once we stop killing each other, brother against brother in the war between the states and everything kind of sort of went back to there was a transitional period in post antebellum, but you know, there wasn't a shortage of cotton coming out of the South, even before we had all the equipment. Now, a lot of the early equipment that was like horsepower and all did come around right about that time as well. But we didn't need slavery to get it picked. We had just done it for hundreds of years. So that was the mindset, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm, Honestly, from a business standpoint, it's a terrible business model anyways. It's awful. Yeah. That's uh, why we have modern slavery. It's called taxation, right? You yeah, know? exactly. We're, we're all uh, uh, tax animals. Uh, we're living in a tax farm. Um, you know, plus add the uh, immoral aspect into it, and it's all of it was just terrible. So and as far as anarchy, anarchy is the natural order of things. Everything else put is put on top of it. Um, the the one thing I think people misunderstand about uh, anarchy is that uh, the the misconception I always hear is that anarchists like want no rules or they're against authority. We're not against hierarchies. Hierarchy is the natural structure to everything. Um, like I said, it's the natural order. Um, it's the coercion, the force, um, any anything that's involuntary that anarchists don't like. I believe personally that uh, society is smart enough and capable enough of running itself without having Big Brother watching over our shoulder. Uh, the, the idea of government anyways is supposed to be like a referee in a hockey game anyways. So... Um, as far as how we're going to get there, it, uh, I look at it as a, uh, a freeway or a highway. Uh, we've, we've got to get to Minarchy before we can get to Ancapistan. So, you know, some people just decide to leave at early, earlier exits than, uh, you know, going all the way. Yeah, I agree with you. You have, to, uh, you have to have a removal of the systems of control over time. I'm not sure it works that way, but... Um, I think if we had all of the systems of control eliminated in a millisecond, that we would probably have the misery that people predict. And I think that most people don't realize that that's, that's not even what a purist anarchist is advocating. My, my position comes from one of morality. It's, it's, it's not a technical way that you get there. It's that you choose to exit. And you choose to exit because everything that the system stands for is immoral, and I don't stand on the side of immorality. So it's it's... It's, 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 it's like a non-spiritual religion in a way, you know, <laughs> that you have this moral compass and you just get to a point where you're like, well, I don't want to be part of that anymore. So I'm going to, I'm going to stand outside the system. And I think what happens is you also, 
I think a lot of like when I say young, I don't mean age. I mean how long you've been. Young anarchists are very much like screw everybody, you're stupid or whatever. Yeah. And the longer you're an anarchist, the more you understand that these people inside this system that want to be in this system that don't want unplugging from the matrix, they have every right to live in that system. Right? Even if it was a perfect world and Jack Spirico was, I don't want to be president. I can't do shit. I want to be king. If I'm king, I can get some shit done and I'll be like, okay, we're in anarchy. And the only people brought before my throne are the people that violate that principle. Um, yeah, I, I, I still think that you're going to be in a position where, you know, people are going to have to look out for themselves, so to say. And anyway, it kind of got me off track there, but. One of the things when we talk about libertarianism that always comes up, if the ideas are so great, why don't they win? Right. You know, I ran as a libertarian candidate. I was actually a really strong candidate. I got 18 percent of the vote in a state house race in a district that the Republican got 92 percent or higher of the vote for decades. And I still, you know, failed miserably in reality. It's better than anybody could have hoped for. It's still a miserable failure. Why don't we win as libertarians? if we're so right about what we talk about, because that's what I get thrown at me all the time. Why don't you run for office and change from the inside? <laughs> I'm like, same reason I don't put my penis in a beehive and beat on the roof. <laughs> I've been there. I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, so I honestly think it's a, it's a couple of different reasons. Um, the biggest reason is the mentality that uh, people vote with. People don't vote their conscience typically. Uh, they usually vote against somebody or something. Um, so I believe a lot of it's that. Um, a lot of it also is how unfamiliar with what libertarianism actually is is probably why most people just write it off. Um, every time I have somebody explain what they think it is, I, I have yet to hear a correct answer, uh, you know, as if it was uh, read verbatim from the platform. Um, so I do think a lot of it's that. Um, I do, th- let, let me put my tinfoil hat on for a sec, that I do believe that there has been somewhat of an effort to subvert the movement. Um, you know, history has definitely shown that you know the fbi cia has infiltrated certain groups uh, that you know uh, the black panthers um the uh oh, their their name is escaping me the the freedom fighters um and so to to think that the libertarians have never had a federal agent infiltration is just naive um so i i think it's a lot of different uh aspects to it um, also, uh, one of the biggest things is repeat exposure effect. Everyone was raised on the two party system. Um, and f- for anyone who doesn't know, the repeat exposure effect is just you are exposed to something re- repeatedly, um, over and over. And eventually you end up getting like a form, a mild form of like Stockholm syndrome to where you end up liking it. It typically happens with, uh, modern music like pop music it all sounds the same it's all terrible like there's 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 six music producers that produces all of the modern music on the radio so 
you know, there, there's something wrong with that, but you keep hearing it over and over again. And eventually your brain is uh, tricked into liking it. So I, I really think it's a lot of different um, aspects to it. Uh, as far as the reason why I personally choose to go libertarian, cause I, I get the, the thing thrown at me. Uh, why don't you just run Republican or Democrat just to get into office? Yeah. Well, I mean, the most arguably the most successful libertarian in history did that. Yeah. Ron, Ron Paul. Paul ran as a Republican <laughs> and like when he, when five people like you're a libertarian, it's like, you got me. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and so that is, you know, it does have so far the most effective libertarians have done just that. So why not? So for me personally, it is strictly just a moral and ethical choice. Um, by the time I reach office, if I ever do, um, I want to still be a libertarian. I want to still have somewhat of a soul and a conscience. And I don't want to have to make all of these compromises. Um, th- that goes against my entire system of principles in the first place. So that's why I don't choose to run as Republican and Democrat. Um, I know if I can get on the debate stage with anybody, if I get a face off with any of my opponents, I've got the moral and ethical uh, philosophy on my side. So um, I'm killer on a debate stage. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's really just uh, getting out there and making as much noise as possible. Uh, if yeah, I can bring a couple of people in, it's a successful campaign. It was successful, whatever I did. Yeah, the, the exclusion from debate is a huge thing. And it's not just limited to the LP. Like, it's, it's, it's literally part of the entire uh, free speech shutdown that, yeah. that we're doing now. And it, but it originated with just not letting certain parties into debates. And I'm not even talking about political parties when I say that. It, like, individuals. Yeah. Like, in academia. In science, in, in politics, in all of these different places, like that's a great way to just marginalize anybody with something in opposition to say uh, what you're saying. Because if you watch, like the most watched political debates are always the presidential ones, and except for the the shouting match that was the first Biden Trump debate, <laughs> every everyone I've watched in my adult life, I thought number one, I'd kill both of these people in a debate, and these guys are running mm-hmm. for president. Right. And I I dare you to prove me wrong on that. Right. We can set up the next presidential debate. I'll I'll sit in as a third party debater and we'll pause it and I'll have to answer in real time. And I agree. I'll kill these people in a debate. Um, But the other side of that is you got two people that are running for this office that clearly has too much power. People wouldn't freak out about who had it. And then you've got two sides that actually think the world is over if the other guy wins. But when you actually listen to their answers, they really say the same shit. I mean, I I remember Bush and Gore and like, what's the biggest risk to us? And Gore's like nuclear proliferation. And they go through all this bullshit and they go to George and George's like, well, yeah, nuclear proliferation. It was like, that was the the answer that year. And two years later, nobody gave two fucks about nuclear proliferation. It was like, they already agreed it, it, it's very choreographed as that feels. It feels very WWF. I'm so old, I don't have an E after my duck 2 w <laughs> um, It feels macho man and you yeah. know, 
Hogan and they're, they're oh, fighting yeah. in the ring, right? But then they're both getting stoned and cruising away into Hogan's vet, right? Like, yeah. that's how this all feels. And I think there's some real reality to it. And I do think there are two mafia families at, at play here and they both do want to edge the other one out. But the overall agenda seems to be exactly the same. And it's like they can't have that third voice. It, regardless of whether or not libertarians would win, they can't have that third voice in a debate, even the presidential debates that Ron Paul managed to get into. You can tell he was given very little time, very little time yep. to speak. Um, and it's, it's, it's as if we let that be said, then that might actually crack a brain cell open in some of the zombies out there, and it would be dangerous. Well, and so the uh, debate commission is ran by the RNC and the DNC. So it's it's the two-party system running the debate commission. They get to decide who is in the debates. Uh, so, of course, libertarians are not going to be involved in that. Um, another issue is that the, the two-party system continually forces the libertarians to fight for ballot access. Um, that's one of the biggest things going on in Alabama and New York right now is there were just a bunch of regulations changed. Um, there, there were regu- regulations as far as uh, voting redistricting. redistricting. You, you know what I'm saying. All across the country. And in New York and Alabama, um, the Libertarian Party over there had to fight to regain ballot access. Um, that's pretty much what... The LP has been dealing with for about 50 years, which uh, we just turned 50 this year. Um, so, you know, it's they keep little things like that that are innocuous, but they're very effective in keeping the party down. Also, the you know, the, the Fed infiltration by keeping the infighting going, um, which is one of the big things that the Mises caucus is changing, uh, taking the party back and giving the Libertarian Party to Libertarians. So what made you run for office? When I did it, basically the LP approached me and said, hey, would you would you run for this seat? And that year, it was part of a wider campaign. I believe it was 04. And we made sure there was a Libertarian candidate for every every single slot on the ballot in Texas. We also had absolutely zero victories. <laughs> In fact, I did better than just about anybody else in that election out of the LP. And it was made really easy. Like, I actually ran somewhat of a campaign. We actually talked to a few people. Uh, mostly, uh, most people didn't appoint a campaign manager. They didn't have to do any finance. They didn't do any fundraising. They just filled out a form and got on the ballot. And it was actually, for me, kind of a point of, like, maybe I don't really want to take this approach anymore. You know, it was about four years before I started TSP. And uh, it's a hard thing to run for office. And it's a job that's not a great job. What what made you think, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. I'll stick my hand in this cheese grater. <laughs> um, so initially, I was just going to run a paper ballot campaign. I was just going to get my name, get, get the L on the ballot. Um, I wasn't going to do any fundraising or, you know, campaigning or anything. Um, what made me change my mind um, I had actually, because before this, I've, I've never ran for office uh, on, on this level. Um, 
I understand now why people don't run for public office. The barrier to entry is just ungodly. The financial reporting is insane. Nothing makes sense. So anyways, when I started getting into all of this and actually running the campaign, I started looking at my district and I have a very low voter turnout for my area. Um, I am in one of the uh, only House of Representative districts, the House districts, that is entirely in one county. It's very tiny. It's 36,000 people total, um, only 10,000 registered voters or uh, eligible voters, and somewhere around 8,000 registered voters. Um, so it's a very tiny amount. The last few times uh, the the uh, person who holds the office now won, he won with very few votes. Okay. So as soon as I started seeing that, started seeing the actual uh, numbers, the demographics, most of it's blue collar, uh, law enforcement, firefighters, large stay-at-home mom population, um, construction workers, manufacturing. Uh, you know, it's uh, what I grew up around. It's uh, everything I know. So I know how to be able to speak to these people. And I started seeing all of these things. And that's when I started saying, you know what? This the, this person who's holding office now, um, I, I would say close to 70, maybe 80 percent of all of the uh, legislature here in the state of Utah is actually uh, realtors. You know, it's uh, I'm, I know it's like that in several other states as well. But in the the, the last two years that um, uh, Cal Musselman is his name, Calvin Musselman, he sponsored one bill to help mortgage brokers um, have easier access to some of the tools that they need to be able to get the mortgages out. It's the only thing he did. Um, he did help or he did sponsor another bill that kind of uh, like reworded a already existing bill. And it was good. It, it had to do with, uh, you know, CPS when, when they take away children and they interview them, uh, he basically rewrote the law to where the children can choose somebody that they feel comfortable with to be in the interview. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I can't really use that against him in this campaign. Uh, but the fact that he spent pretty much four years in office has done very little. His, uh, his liberty rating as far as the, you know, uh, th- there's a few coalitions around here that rate the politicians based upon certain criteria that, you know, how, uh, liberty oriented are they? And his rating has dropped over the past four years. He's done very little. And I saw all of these things and it's reachable. It's actually doable. Uh, the big thing is just getting the power behind me, getting the support, the financial help, uh, people to knock on doors. Uh, I've got to get 7,000 votes, and I get it. So, and I'm, I'm sorry, what was what's this position again? Is it state house? Is it House of Representatives. State House of Representatives. So I guess my question is, and I think that a really dedicated person, especially you cherry-pick a district that you – you happen to be in and it works for you got out knocked on doors, especially if we only need a few thousand votes can do this as a libertarian. 
when I sat back and thought about what would I have done if I had won, first thing I did was thank God I didn't. <laughs> uh, I think part of why they got me to run was I was just making a political statement. And I didn't expect to win. Um, it pays like $800 a month and people fight like hell for it. So that tells you something about the back end of it. Yeah. State houses are usually a pretty large body of government. State senator in Texas has got, to be honest, has got some powers, like 35 of them or 37. It's a good old boys network. There's some real power there. Um, the house, one vote means very little. So if you were to win this office and, you know, didn't have like a third of the state flip where you had a coalition you could work with, do you think you'd be able to get anything done? Or are you just kind of a Ron Paul where this guy's really cool, we like him, but, I mean, Ron Paul said in his farewell address to Congress after a couple decades in Congress, I didn't really get anything done. Yeah. Now, I feel like he did, but he got it done outside the body. That, that's that's how I feel. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely had a lot of opposition up against him. Um, same in this state, there is there is the system, the, you know, the man. Um, the old guard that has been in office forever. Uh, they're not giving up their position. You know, they have millions of dollars to be able to run on every large financial, uh, backer in the entire state and outside the state. There is that here, just like everywhere else. As far as getting things done, well, I, let, let's see, let's back up just a little bit. So for the campaign itself, Obviously, my number one goal is to win. Like I said, it's doable. It's actually reachable. Um, if I don't win, which is more realistic, then as long as I can make the uh, people I'm running against say, oh, shit, like I've got to start campaigning harder, it's a successful campaign. So my ultimate goal is to be as loud and boisterous as possible to get the message out there. I don't believe that you can be, I, I don't believe that there's a limit to how radical you can be with the message. If you're telling the truth, as long as you're telling the 100% God honest truth, there's no point where you reach that's that's too radical. So I will be as loud as possible. That could get me in. If Maybe I do. Will. Yeah. Um, so, if it if it gets me in, that's how I'm going to act on the floor as well. Obviously, I'm not going to disrespect people. It's uh, my my mother would have a big issue with that. <laughs> but um, I will not I will not be silent on issues. Um, th- there's one thing that I definitely am. So I'm running partially on a anti-war campaign, an, an anti-war platform. Um, but I'm also pro-soldier. Um, I I don't hate the armed forces. You know, I'm I'm not a uh, same. I'm prior service U.S. Army Airborne. Yeah. I I I really would advise a young person not to go in the military today myself. However, yeah, <laughs> I can't speak ill of it. And I said this at a recent event I spoke at. I was on a path toward a jail cell, uh, and I had no direction in my life. And, and the army turned my life around for the better. And so it's a very bittersweet pill for me. And I'll, I'll always be pro soldier. I wasn't born an anarchist. I wasn't even born a libertarian. 
Actually, I was, but then the school made it go away. <laughs> I think if you want an anarchist, talk to a five-year-old, man. They, yeah. They, whenever I think the government's doing something stupid and I want to make sure it's not my bias, I'll, I'll get my 11-year-old grandson, and I won't give him anything of an opinion. I'll just say, this is what's happening. What do you think about it? And when he goes, well, that's stupid, then I'm like, okay, <laughs> I was right. I've just had it confirmed, you know, <laughs> and Phil Sexton, thank you for the super chat while we're talking. I appreciate you, sir. Um, anyway, please continue. So one, one of the big things that I'm, I'm running on, like I said, anti-war, um, considering all, all of the issues going on in the world, uh, we're, we're struggling paying for groceries. There's no baby formula. We're struggling yeah. paying for gas. And yet we just sent $40 billion over to Ukraine. Yeah. Ukraine is a corrupt com- country. So is Russia. This, this is not our pit, not our zero arguments here. Yeah. Zero, right? Right. We're, we're, we're in the same church, so, preaching to the same choir on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just read an, an article before we, we, uh, started. Uh, apparently, uh, Biden is now sending 500 ground troops back to, uh, uh, not Syria, uh, Serbia, uh, somewhere over in the Middle East, Mediterranean. And it's like, okay, here we go again, you know. Um, so strictly I am anti-war. So one of the big things that I would introduce and I would be very loud about is uh, defend the guard. Um, defend the guard, uh, basically it's – I would be introducing legislation to make it so the governor isn't the only person who has – the ability to send the National Guard overseas. There would have to be more steps taken before our men and so women get sent overseas. Governors don't do this. They approve it, right? So the president yeah. does it. So you're saying that you, you can't that the have – The feds would have to come in and actually have. go through a process instead of just snapping their fingers. Yeah, because the governor can say screw, and it does happen – Talk to DeSantis on that with some of the things that he's told Biden to go screw with. But a president can make a call to a governor, even on an opposition yeah. side, and say, hey, look, there's this thing that you want, and I need this to happen. And one guy is is pretty easy to control in the realm of politics, so some form of a committee or something like that, before the guy that joined the guard to take care of people in his own backyard. That's why yeah. I mean, everybody knows when they join the guard, at least you should. I could end up in some foreign war, mm-hmm. but the purpose of the National Guard is citizens assisting citizens. That's yeah, it's a citizen soldier, and uh, so I, I like that. One thing I think that a person that wins a state house seat might have a lot more power outside than inside. In that, I'm a podcaster with a big audience, but if I call up 570 Talk Radio and say I'm Jack Spearco, they're like, I don't give a shit who you are. <laughs> and if I call enough, I might get on the air for 35 seconds or something like that. But if I were to phone up and say I'm Jack Spearco from the, the 9th Congressional District Texas State House, and I'd like to be on for an interview about some pending legislation. By the way, I'm the only libertarian in the State House. Probably every talk radio station in my market would have me on, and I can probably get on – Talk radio in Houston, Austin, et cetera, right? And yeah. I, I, I don't know that we've taken that approach as much as we should in the liberty movement is gaining office and using it as a, a soapbox out rather than in talking to all the assholes is the best term I can come up with <laughs> without getting completely yeah. vulgar on the inside because that's how they 
the way you move government is with mob on the outside, right? Like when they're like, shit, I want to keep this really great job that pays $800 a month, but I get to fly all over the damn planet on it. Uh, all of a sudden they start caring what people have to say. And I think that maybe that's an approach. And again, if you go back, who's the most successful libertarian in politics, it's Ron Paul. And that's really what he did. Like I said, I've had, I've had hundreds of people on this show that somewhere in their life that we're talking about is something to do with liberty. And I'd say 95% when I ask that origin question say, well, Ron Paul. And I think that's an incredibly powerful thing. And I do think that maybe that's something that the Libertarian Party needs to do better is focus on let's not try to make sure we, we take a shot at everything. Can we cherry pick one seat? In every state, if we have to move somebody there, move that person there, and the plan right from the get-go is media blitz the day that the election is finalized if they win. Because I can't see these – now, I'm not talking about Glenn Beck. They're syndicated you know, at 50,000 stations or whatever. But all these local talk shows, I mean, I don't see a lot of rejection from that if you wanted to come on and speak as a state rep – they have them on all the time, and usually it's not worth listening to, but it could be. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with you that it, it is definitely more of a uh, sending it outward. Um, you know, the, the idea would be to be able to be loud on the floor, introduce these things, talk about why they're important, but then be able to turn around and – give the citizens a uh, firsthand perspective how other people, uh, their other representatives acted when presented with this legislation. Um, because it, it's going to go one of two ways. They're going to support it or deny it. And how could you deny something for the troops like this? So it, it's just one of, one of the big things. And Utah is a uh, majority uh, rhino state is actually what I would say, not Republican. Um, if anyone had seen anything, uh, th there was a Tucker Carlson, uh, report regarding the Utah governor recently. He had given his pronouns in a, a, a zoom chat, which, okay, that that's ridiculous, but whatever. Um, but the, one of the first things he did when he was in office was actually to change up. I, I can't remember the name of the scholarship, but, he had changed up the scholarship to exclude white kids, basically. Okay. And that was the first thing he did. He ran on school choice, which is actually one of my platforms that I'm running on as well. Um, and the first thing he does when he gets into office is screw over the school choice community. Um, basically took Powerful money course. away from them. Powerful yeah. course. It's every single yep. politician ever. Exactly. And so I've actually had pretty good luck uh, speaking with uh, Republicans here saying, hey, I see you're upset about this. and I totally understand it. What you need to understand is that he is still a Utah GOP backed candidate. The party, the system is still backing him. So you're upset with him, yet you're feeding into the system that got him there in the first place. And that has actually sparked quite a bit in uh, the private conversations I've had with private and public conversations. Um, but I do agree that it, it's definitely uh, 
bringing it out to the people. Um, so kind of going back to, uh, what I would do, uh, if I were to win, um, you know, I, I am a little bit younger of a generation. I have a pretty big social media presence. I'm all over the place. Um, unfortunately that was just side effect of my generation and, you know, uh, how I was raised. Um, and then I got into podcasting and it was all downhill, but <laughs> I would definitely be able to utilize that, um, for every, I, I, I would milk it for everything it had. Uh, I realized the importance of getting a hold of the youth, uh, the, the communists, that's what they're doing. They're, uh, pushing their propaganda on children of all ages, university, uh, you know, college students. Um, and that, that's one thing that I'm actually pushing for is, uh, blank, blanketing, um, the universities here in my state, uh, with libertarian propaganda. And why not? Communists are doing it. Socialists are doing it. Um, so I see no reason why we shouldn't. Um, you're dead on the universities. My, my nephew is just about to wrap up law school and, uh, he went to college as a young conservative raised in the most stereotypical conservative home you can imagine. Uh, every Sunday sitting through church confirmed in the Methodist church. Dad's a cop. Mom's a school teacher. You know, absolute 100% red district that he grew up in and he now hates white people, and I keep pointing out to him, your mirror might reflect that that might not be a good position to take. And, yeah. you know, uh, he, he's just he's he's a libtard. And, and I hate using that term because he's one of the smartest young men I know. He's got an IQ, you know, at a buck fifty or so. Um, so he's intelligent. But under Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity, he's been made stupid. Right. So in Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity, I... right, like. Stupidity does not mean intellectually slow. Yeah. It means stupid and stupid people mm -hmm. are dangerous. And, you know, he has political ambitions and what have you. And like as a kid grew up duck hunting with his dad and now he's for gun control. And it's it's insane what's done to these kids. And I think it's a power of one, the campaign itself, but two, conformity. So these kids end up spending four years away from their families surrounded by other kids and you're your number one goal in life when you're that age is fit in. You know, we've, we've turned, we've turned the colleges into high school 2.0. Like college used to be a place you went to form independent opinions and it always had a leftist bent, but yet the opposition wasn't silenced, et cetera. And now it's like, if you say one thing that doesn't fit with what you're being told to say and think, you're ostracized, attacked, physically sometimes. And so, yeah, something needs to be done there. I, I'm all for replacing it all together with a new system, but uh, it also is what we have. I try to be a pragmatic yeah. anarchist, right? Like uh, I tell people all the time when I do these like things like exit and build and all, and people are like, you know, getting rid of their social security number and all that shit. And I'm like, <laughs> the sovereign. Yeah, I have a Venn diagram <laughs> in my life. I got my gray market aggregate shit over here and my, yeah. my legitimate business over here and the overlap of them. But when I want to get a mortgage, I go get a mortgage and buy a freaking house. Yeah. Right. Like, so I think there is some pragmatism for using what we have. Yeah. Mo most definitely. Uh, you, you know, 
I always try to point out to people, like, think of how long it took us to get here. I mean, think of how long it's taken uh, both parties, uh, you know, marching left, right, left, right, just back and forth every four to eight years, um, except for FDR with, you know, the extra uh, four years he had. Um, it took us a long time to get here. And it's going to take just as long, if not longer, to get back. And, you know, that that's a very daunting task that we are looking up at. However, this the, the liberty movement as a whole, not just libertarians, but the, the agorist, um, the some of the crypto community, um, some of those Bitcoin maxis get a get a little uh, authoritarian. But, um, you know, the, the liberty movement as a whole, people just that just don't want to be controlled. Um, unfortunately, we have morality and ethics on our side. Um, probably won't see it in my lifetime. Like I said, it's going to take 100 plus years to get back to even what we could see. Uh, but we can still make improvements today. Um, that's one reason why even as a anarcho-capitalist, mainly an anarchist, I still vote. I know it doesn't do shit. But I'm not going to give it up, and at least it's on paper that I don't support those two parties. So it, it's basically putting it on paper. Fuck you guys. If and that gives you catharsis, I'm not gonna. I, I've never told another human being not to vote. Yeah. I've also well, said that I'm not for running my fingers across a cheese grater. Like, <laughs> well, it's yeah. it's also in in combination with other things as well. It's it's also not just voting because if that's the only thing you're doing. That's exactly what you're doing is running your fingers across the cheese grater. But no, you, you, you've got to implement it into your life as well. You've got to implement that agorism, uh, you know, trying to make yourself self-sustainable as much as possible, just constantly making yourself less dependent upon the state, uh, you know, raising family or influencing, uh, your, uh, local community doing these things. It's just one more of those things that I just refuse to give up. I do want to, I want to say one thing on behalf of Bitcoin maximalists though. Uh, and I call myself a shitcoin minimalist. You said they're authoritarian. They're not authoritarian. They just think you're, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> and they're pointing out that you're playing with shit that's going to blow up in your face. And that, uh, just cause it says decentralized on a white paper doesn't mean it is. We don't need to go down that, but I don't, I don't know. I, I, well, I'm not gonna say I don't know anybody in crypto that's authoritarian cause there's plenty of them, but I don't know that anybody's expressing authoritarianism through crypto that's a that's a different window see i've i've actually i didn't think it was possible either um so i spend actually a lot of time on a uh an app called clubhouse and it's oh there's your first mistake but go ahead (laughs) (laughs) well actually it's it's benefited me quite well actually there's a very large liberty movement on there uh i found them very quickly uh, so if anybody wants to get introduced to them, you just come find me and I'll show you the right people. Okay. Um, I, I found some incredible friends, um, libertarians from all across the country doing all kinds of amazing things. Um, so it's, it's actually a lot bigger of a community than people would think. Uh, and it is growing. Um, so some of these people that I've met because there are these great people on there, and I will stand by that wholeheartedly. 
I have also met some of the worst people I have ever met on there. Um, I had never experienced more anti-white racism in my entire life until I reached that app. Um, yeah. And it, Welcome it, to a cross-section of society, right? Like yeah. a cross-section of society where people can shoot their mouth off without getting punched in it. Yeah. That's, that's social media <laughs> sun, summed up. And it's Clubhouse, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's everything. Oh, right? yeah. Like it, it, whether it's verbal like clubhouses or it's in text, like what you're seeing is the real human being. Underneath the facade, because this protection of anonymity and even if they're not completely anonymous, not getting punched in the face. (laughs) Um, I see people say things all the time and I'm like, man, probably not me because I'm pretty not violent. But I know some people that you would have got to the third world word and you'd have been looking for your teeth (laughs) to put them in a Dixie cup to go to the ER with and hope they can put them back in your mouth. Um, And I see that happen (laughs) all the time. We don't need to divulge down there too much, but. What I want to talk about back on, on point here is the integrity or lack thereof in, 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 in voting system. So D'Souza, Souza has out this 2000 mules. I did watch it. D'Souza is absolutely in the tank for the Republican party. That's his role. I don't begrudge him of that. We're all in a tank for some. Uh, but it was incredibly compelling the way that it was done. I don't know if you've seen it, but. It, I will still answer. I, I have the yet to see it, but I do plan on it. Yeah, I will answer the question. Do I do I think that the election was stolen after seeing it the same way I did before? Because we refused to investigate it properly. The answer is I don't know. But I'm further to the camp of it probably was now. And I knew there was fraud. And I, you, you can't have video of somebody pulling a case of freaking ballots out from under a table at 2 a.m., and start firing up the count machine and said, there's no evidence whatsoever. Uh, also, when the mainstream media comes at it with, it was the most secure election in history, you know it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. right? When they all unify behind a message, it's a lie. That's one of the patterns I've recognized. So a lot of people now are like, well, what's the, what the hell's the point of voting? Yeah, they already have the system rigged in the open, but if they're also rigging the back end of it, you know, the guy that counts the votes actually decides, what's the point? You know, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I even have an answer for that. Um, so my personal belief is that there are too many questions, not enough answers. There was some very incredibly, um, shady things that had happened. I had actually stayed up all night watching the results. Uh, there, there were some very strange things that happened very early on in the morning, and there seems to be no answers. Um, that paired with... Since you haven't seen it, let me just give you an example of some of the shit yeah, that's been no. 2,000 mules. So they, what they did is they bought freely available marketing data from, oh, from yeah. people that run cell phone apps, and then they looked for patterns, and they said, if a person went to more than five drop boxes and went to more than three, like, non-profit, get-out-the-vote-in-the-tank-for-the-Democrats place. They labeled them a mule, and then they tracked them. Then they also did the equivalent of a FOIA request at the state level. I don't remember what it's called, to get the security camera footage, because all the drop boxes hit had them. And they said, here's the mule identified. We don't know his name, but we know this person, and this is the pattern they went. And if we're right, they should appear at this drop box at 3 a.m. 
And son of a bitch, there he is pulling up at 3 a.m. stuffing multiple ballots in the box. And they don't have like one, because one of those would be a one-off and you'd say, well, it's, but it's, again, the whole 2,000 mules is they have 2,000 of these identified just in key areas of key states. And, you know, the math back of the napkin calculation being really conservative works out enough to swing the election. Now, I neither cheered when Trump came on board nor cried when he went away. So to me, it's not about Trump. It's about, again, I try to stay outside the system, but I also will put my referee hat on. And I get a lot of questions like, did the Supreme Court get this right or wrong and stuff? And, well, inside your rule book, you should do the shit you're going to say. And it's as bad as it gets, in my opinion, what they uncovered. And how do we, yeah. how do you fix that? Like, cause I, this is what I predict. Guys with guns standing around the jock boxes and that's not going to work out well for that side. Like no. people inter, like, what are you doing? <clears throat> and, and in people's Facebook cameras at three in the morning leading up to the midterms. What do you, how many violets do you have there? And they'll find the one time that they find some little old lady was taking it for her canasta club or something. And they'll, that will be all you see on CNN nonstop and how the ride is crazy. Like, I, I don't have a good answer to what to do about this. I don't think one of these people will be prosecuted. And and my contention is, if you're following your own rule book, that's a federal felony, a whole count every time you put one ballot in the box. So it's a felony, it's a felony, it's a felony, it's a felony. And then this guy gets in his car and drives to the next because they spread them out. So you usually have this guy in one night committing 150 felonies and not being prosecuted. And I think that's dangerous, not just because it interferes with the election, because it breeds hatred. Like, why am I following the law, especially all these laws that I don't even agree with? This jackass just committed 150 felonies on camera and walks free and gets to do it again. And I think it's dangerous for a society because that leads to, well, it leads to dangerous behavior. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And, and please go ahead and respond to that, however, you know, wherever you want to take that from there. Yeah, of course. So they they, they spent a, l- a little over four years uh, claiming Russia hacked the election. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. As, as soon as the 81 million votes came in, then as soon as you questioned voting integrity, it was an attack no on our democracy. Do. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. And just right there, it doesn't smell great. You know, add on all this other stuff, you know, make draw your own conclusion. But I'm pretty sure anyone with half of a brain can see what's going on. So what do we do about it? Well, first of all, I'm I went into this race eyes wide open. Like I said, I, I don't expect to win. Um, I, I think it's. It's very, very rare that it's going to happen. It's not impossible. Um, but what it would take to get it done. And I, I'm, I'm talking, you know, a, a libertarian governor of New York, like it, what that would take to get done is just could still happen, but it would take an enormous amount of resources. Um, my, my, uh, Heart of hard answers is there, there's a very famous quote by Thomas Jefferson about a tree and how it needs to be watered. And, and I think 
that that's the last resort. However, there is such a system set into place and the people that are in control of it will not let go. Like I said, part of my radicalization to become Big L was the seeing how the hunger for the control and the power will never be satisfied. I mean, it, one of the scariest things I could possibly think of is everyone being forced to take an experimental drug. Like, forced, just like we're forced to in pay taxes. America. Yeah. In America or in Canada, yeah. which was like America Junior. Like, if you were a refugee somewhere in the world and you made your wish list of places you could go, America was on everybody's <laughs> top list. But your next mm-hmm. two countries were probably Australia and Canada. And Australia and Canada went full Nazi. Yeah. Like, and New Zealand, too. Like, if you were like, well, I'm hoping to get you. You're from Somalia. So I hope to get into America. Like, dude, you didn't get into Canada. You didn't get in the U.S. or Australia. You'd be like, damn it. Where am I going? New Zealand. You'd be like, all right, fucking A. Let's go. Right. Like, <laughs> and, and geez, I mean, yes, you're right. Yeah. So I, I don't believe that we are at, at the point of no return. Um, however, I am in favor of a, uh, you know, a, uh, succession at this point. You know, I, I believe that there is little to no middle ground. Um, I, I hear the arguments that it could make, uh, you know, the union weak. I don't believe so. I'm okay uh, if it does. I'm not really fond of what they're doing anyway. So, I mean, the, the American <laughs> empire needs to fall at some point. We should have never been an empire. We are a republic. So if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Um, you know, I'm not really sure what to do, honestly, except for, like I said, make myself less dependent upon these systems that they control, less dependent upon the uh, the food system, um, less dependent upon um, pretty much any system that can be taken away from me at will. Uh, just because they decide to burn a bunch of food processing plants out of nowhere over the course of a little less than a year. Um, that coupled with being loud. Uh, honestly, the, the reason I started my podcast is because I saw the attacks on free speech. And I said, you know what? I'm going to build my uh, my YouTube. I'm probably going to be censored, shadow banned, but I'm going to put it out there. And you better believe I'm going to have backups. They're not going to stop me from doing it. So um, worst case scenario, I'll go pirate radio and start broadcasting that way. So they're not going to stop it is is the issue. Um, so at this point, anything and everything is what you do. And that that's my answer. Anything and everything. Um, you use the term white-pilled. Tell us what that is for those that don't know, and and why in such shitty times are you white-pilled? Well, um, so so first and foremost, uh, the the red and blue pill. It's a reference to the Matrix. Uh, First movie's great. Second one's okay. Don't bother after that. But definitely, first first one's great. Uh, Even with the uh, you know. early CGI and everything. Go back and watch it. It's, it's a good movie. So it, it, it's a reference to uh, 
taking the the red pill or the blue pill. The the blue pill keeps you in the matrix, keeps you asleep, unaware. The red pill wakes you up to everything that's going on around you. As things have gotten worse, we now have the black pill and the white pill. The black pill is all doom and gloom. That's it. Nostradamus was right. The world's coming to an end. The Mayan calendar is is over. Everything's burning down. The white pill, you still have hope. So I, I did say that I am white-pilled. Um, there are many reasons to be black-pilled, and in many ways I am. Um, just a couple of quick ones that come to mind, how quickly everyone was willing to give up their liberties over COVID. That just that shocked me to the core. Um, I, I had never thought that uh, people would be that willing or at least that the propaganda would work that well. Uh, Cause I think it was a combination of both. Um, so in many ways like that, I am very black pilled. Um, it, it's, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. However, the reason, one of the largest reasons I'm white pilled is the conversations that I have with people. Like I said, I, I speak to people all over, all over the country. Um, I see more action being taken now by people who are tired of it actually getting out and doing something. Um, I said it before and I'll say it again that the Mises caucus is one of the biggest white pills I have ever seen. There, there are so many people from all over the country, massive numbers pushing for this. Um, just in, in, in the state, in, in my state alone, in a matter of a year, we've, we've, uh, organized four counties. Um, we, for our, uh, delegate, because our national convention is coming up actually next week. Uh, if anyone's in Reno, uh, the, uh, 25th, through the 28th, uh, feel free to stop by the Golden Nugget. Uh, it is free for everyone to attend, so come and hang out. Um, there are so many people keeping their head down, actually getting things done. The, the, the biggest issue with the LP for so long, it has had terrible leadership. It has had terrible goals it's ran completely inefficiently it's also the, ran candidates that have no business calling themselves libertarians they get some yep. washed up republican governor and they say but we need a mainstream candidate and it's like yep. you might as well i can't think of his name to do with the freaking boot on his head that was going to give everybody Herman supreme Herman supreme you might as well run him if you're going to run a former new york uh a new mexican mayor or i mean sorry governor you, you might as well run for. In fact, you might do better with Boot Boy than than with a washed up Republican governor claiming to be a libertarian. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, and what's interesting is uh, Gary Johnson got, I, I believe, it was three point five percent, which was actually pretty high. The uh, last presidential candidate, Joe Jorgensen, she got uh, one point six or one point eight, so it was a massive drop. Um, that coupled with the, the the fact that the Libertarian Party had the opportunity handed to them on a silver platter with the lockdowns and everything, 
the, the national party was silent, didn't say a thing. That's what sparked all of this. That's what sparked people saying, we're taking the party back, giving yeah, it what's, back to what's the fucking point? If you're for liberty and you won't speak up now, what is the point? What are you exactly. doing? So, I mean, it, it does go back in the LP history a little bit. At, at one point, Murray Rothbard was trying to cater to the left and try to bring them into the party, uh, you know, back back in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, and it failed miserably. Well, the same thing happened again, and uh, a, a bunch of lefties, uh, like far left people have uh, gotten in um, basically because the, the Green Party has done nothing and they basically disbanded. So they thought that they could come over and take over the LP. Well, people have had enough. People are sick of the LP not doing anything and we're taking it back. So uh, that's one of the largest white pills. Um, the, the other white pill that I keep seeing is how willing people are to finally admit that things are wrong, that, that things are screwed up. So that's my biggest white pill. And I just keep pushing on it and pushing on it. Like I said, if I can get one person, two people, three people, a group of people, a hundred people, it, it doesn't matter to me. I made a difference with one person and that changed it for the future. So that's why I'm white pilled. So, Talk a little bit about what liberty is to you and why it's so important. I, I've, I've been saying for years, liberty is precious. You have to fight to keep it. And, and that's kind of how liberty works to me. Liberty is like property. It, it, it means absolutely nothing without the capacity to defend it. So you can say this is my land, but if 10 dudes can just throw up, show up and throw you in a hole in the ground and bury you and take it away, it's not yours. And, and that's kind of how I feel about liberty. So. To me, liberty is is practically everything. Um, it is the the most important virtue. Uh, first, I will say, uh, I I actually had a uh, a tweet uh, earlier for my campaign account that I, I I had made the point that liberty is earned, and it, it will only be rewarded to those who actually work for it. The only way to gain liberty is to work to be virtuous every single day. Uh, when, when the American founding fathers created those founding documents, and as, as an anarchist, I see flaws in them. However, it's still a world, world changing documents. And, and I appreciate the, the history and what can come from that. Uh, much like the Magna Carta, you know, it's, I disagree with a lot of it, but it was world changing. Um, you have to be virtuous to be able to receive liberty. Um, I don't buy the fact that morality or ethics are subjective, that people just make it up on their own. Uh, regardless, regardless of, uh, your skin color, eye color, hair color, your, your age, your sex, what decade you were born in, regardless, murder is murder and it's wrong. No matter where you are in the world, it's always been that way and it will always be that way. So liberty itself, the ability to, to go through life and interact 
with the things around you, including other people, society itself, without the threat of force, violence, fraud, or um, what was the other word I was thinking of? I don't know. It's gone. Um, being able to live peacefully and be comfortable to me is what it is. Why is it so important? I, I guess that kind of gets into the, the meta discussion of, you know, why are we here? Is life important? Um, and, and those would be wonderful discussions. I love of having those discussions. I've gone several different directions. Ultimately, to put it simply, I do believe that life is important because it, it just is. We're, we're alive, we're experiencing this, and that makes it important. Based upon that, there is objective morality and objective ethics. It's wrong to kill people. I own my body. I own my labor. I own the fruits of my labor. I can, I, I can take those things and I can uh, sell them. I can trade them. I can give them away. But it's unethical and immoral for somebody to take it from me, steal it from me. So <clears throat> being able to make your own choice because you exist not having to experience harm is why it's important. Now, why is it important to not experience these things? Because we are a, a living being that is experiencing something. And this is where you kind of get into the circular argument. You, you can keep going back and forth. But the way I see it, we are living, we are experiencing whatever this life is. Because of that, it's important. Life that is. So since we are here, it is important to act morally and ethically. That's why liberty is everything to me. Um, and I will defend everyone's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I, I don't see how a life as a slave, uh, wh whatever capacity that that is, is a life worth living. And I, I will, I will die on my feet before I live on my knees. And I will do the same thing to make sure that everyone else can live on their feet and be independent. So, uh, hopefully that, that covers it and, uh, answers the question. It absolutely does. Now, you've done something that I'm really happy to see that you've done and, uh, more and more people are doing it. You've joined kind of the brotherhood of podcasters. And you have a podcast called Rise to Liberty. Tell us a little bit about your show. So, starting with the name, it's a call to action. You got to do it. You got to rise to liberty. Like I was saying, it liberty is only awarded to those who fight for it and who work for it. it it's not just given. Um, you don't have an inherent right to it just because you exist. It's for as long as that we can go back into uh, recorded history, uh, man has been controlling other man, uh, other men, um, men, women, children. Um, 
the, these ideas have always been moral and ethical. So based upon that, there are these bad people out there. They will try to control you. And that's what I mean. You, you, you have to work for it. This isn't a, a thing that's going to be given to you. So relating it back to the podcast, it's a call to action. Now is the time. Either we do it now or we don't ever. The way that things are looking, and this comes with a little bit of the black pill, is that we are at a point, uh, technologically speaking, um, politically, uh, pr- pretty much any aspect that you can take, we are at a point where we either stand up for our civil liberties, our right to exist without being slaves, or we lose it all. That's how I see it. And so it's time to rise to liberty. Um, the, the show itself, I, I had mentioned earlier, I started it because I saw the attacks on free speech. And I've always been a loud mouth. I'll say whatever the hell I want, and I dare you to stop me. Um, honestly, why I, I had always wanted to do a podcast. I was just like, you know, the, the market's flooded. You know, it, it, it yeah. doesn't matter. There, there's so many people. Who's going to listen to me? And then I was listening to uh, Dave Smith of uh, Part of the Problem podcast one day, and he had mentioned something about the the, the Liberty podcast movement and how uh, there are so many people. However, he he mentioned that everybody within the Liberty movement does have something to offer as far as the podcast groups. And this really is about free speech. So I kind of have this idea that we just put out this content. We put out the information. We put out so much information that the people, that the forces trying to censor it are unable to. There's too much. They're overwhelmed. Yeah, they, they might take a few people down from uh, YouTube, Twitter. It's still out there. It is definitely more difficult. Uh, that's That's why I'm glad to see things like Odyssey. Um, rumble these these different options out there. Um, as people see these things popping up, they they start getting familiar with these words. Rumble, like what's Rumble? Why why does that exist? Yeah. Oh, because of censorship, you know. And they start getting introduced to these. So here comes the white pill. You know, yeah. there there yeah. are these people building these systems to fight back against this. And uh, I have to say, no matter if it manifests itself in a political movement or an anti-political movement, which is more my world, I think it's the thing that the people in power most fear is actually having people believe in an alternative to their worldview. Right? I, I've said before, they they don't give a shit. If you pick the right or the left boot to have step on your throat, they don't care. But by God, you better pick a boot. Right? You can't be going off all namby pamby on your other shit where you like think you actually have a choice. And you can say that Coke <laughs> sucks and Pepsi's better, but you better pick Pepsi or Coke. You can't go out drinking none of that filtered water. That's bad. That stuff's bad for you. That's that's the way this whole thing feels to me. Um, and I think they are afraid of it. I think that that's like. The real reason they came down on the truckers in Canada, for instance, was they made people believe. 
it had nothing to do with blowing horns in, in, in Ottawa or whatever. Like they didn't really give a shit about that. Uh, they, the, the, there weren't enough trucks to shut down anything meaningful. But all of a sudden there were people all over the world listening to the truckers on Zello channels. Well, that shit's dangerous, right? Like that's, that's why they silence a voice like me. I, I'm successful at what I do, but I know my pay grade. People often think if I can get Jack to believe in my thing and he shills it, like, it, like, <laughs> yeah, you might get a few customers or whatever, but I'm not going to change your world, you know, overnight. I'm not Joe Rogan or anything like that. Um, but yeah, when you start to speak and people start to say, wait a minute, that dude just said what I do matters. I think that's true. And I'm going to go do some shit. Then they're afraid. And what I'm seeing right now, and I, I don't, I'll ever want to over encourage people when I say this, but is the fear in the eye of a dying beast. That's literally what I see right now. I think that's what the great reset is all about. They know that this, this phase is dead is it, it ain't dead yet, but it's dying and they know they need something to replace it with. So that's their great reset. It, and their actual plan is probably not even what they say it is. It's probably something different because that's how they get shit done. And they know their empire's crumbling and they know they have to reestablish a new order, right? And if they don't, then somebody else will. So nature of whoring a vacuum. And I think humans are starting to figure it out. Like we're starting to figure out like, oh, their shit's not working anymore. But yet people are still like, I got it. I understand. Like not everybody can run a podcast and have a full time income off and live on the little farm and tell the world to go screw. Now, <laughs> not everybody can be a Jack Spirico. Um, the guy's got two kids. He's working his ass off. He comes home. He's trying to make sure he's a good dad and spends a couple hours with his kids. And they're just tired. And at, But at the same time, they're starting to think about those kids a little bit differently and thinking, you know, for instance, the homeschool movement has done like this exponential growth since COVID. And people said, you know, distance learning doesn't work. No, distance learning works just fine. You just saw how shitty your kid's education was. <laughs> yep. that, that's, that's what you saw. It wasn't that Zoom was the problem, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that. It was that you saw the shitty teachers your kid has. You saw, you saw the shitty curriculum your good teachers are forced to teach. And you saw that your kids needed two hours a day to do all this shit in reality. And you wondered what were they doing with your kid for the other seven, six, seven hours. And, and people taking control, I think, is the thing they fear the most. With that, I would like to hit a few things that some of the folks said here. One was, I thought this was interesting. I know it's kind of counter to what you're teaching, but it's it, it fits in my mindset. It's an interesting question. Should what you're doing not work and eventually need another plan? Thomas said, how, does, how low does voter turnout have to be before the government is considered illegitimate? There's actually a historical case in other countries for that where government was completely delegitimized and rebooted because no one showed up anymore. That's why, like, in totalitarian states, they literally force people to vote if they can because it gives them a sense of legitimacy. You know, Biden, uh, Brandon got in. Let's go Brandon. He got 80 million votes, (laughs) right? So that's, that's what makes him a legitimate sitting president. What if the United States, like at a federal election level, had like a million people vote? And, and I honestly believe that's a big enough poll cycle that the same person's going to win, by the way. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I really do. Like, wouldn't that hit a point where people would go, you know, screw these guys? The other side of it is they still have the guns and the control and the power. 
Well, and that's why I don't think that they'll ever be truly considered illegitimate. As long as they can tax us, they're legitimate in the most unethical way. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they are a legitimate entity that will kill you or throw you in a cage. So, I mean, uh, voting honestly doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, so it's, like I said, ultimately for me, uh, b- before I even became involved, it voting, I, of course it's bullshit. If, uh, like George Carlin said, if voting actually did anything, they wouldn't let us do it. Yeah. You no. Know? But for me, I view it as, okay, I am going to put it down on paper that I ain't, I ain't going for any of you. So I will vote third party. People can say voting third party is a wasted vote. Voting for Republicans or Democrats is a wasted fucking vote because they will literally choose whoever they want to rule that office. So um, I do agree with you, though, that uh, largely people taking control is what they do fear. Um, they had overplayed their hand the past couple of years. Big and, time. Big yeah. time. So people are wise to it, and they're not happy. There's way more of us than there are of them. See, my biggest thing that I think holds liberty back is that people are actually afraid of it and don't want it. When I first discovered libertarian politics, I thought I found Jesus, right? Like, I, <laughs> I had a complex. I was like, holy shit, I wish people would have known this. The only time I'd ever heard the word libertarian was a history teacher talking about how sometimes there's a libertarian on the ballot and they get no no, no votes. And like the only reason I even remember that is I have one of these freaky-ass memories that remembers things like that. And I remember Mr. Larson, when he said that, I remember thinking, libertarianism sounds weird. And I never even heard about it again until many years later. And then when I found out, there was this whole party. And it was all about liberty. I was like, shit, we just got to tell people. And I figured out real quick, most people didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because they were too comfortable and maybe this time could be different. But on the other side of it, every time I have a conversation with people and I think I'm talking to somebody that wants liberty, unless they're really in our world, I real quickly hear them start saying things where I go, you don't want freedom. You don't even know what it is. And so that's where I think you get into the delegitimization. Like, I don't even know that that would work because I think most people do want to be told what to do. They And, and I don't know. I mean, my whole world is about setting up parallel economies and parallel systems. So we can just say, if you want to live that way, it's fine right up until the point you try to make us be part of it. And by the way, like I said, I kind of have the Venn diagram of my gray market world in my, you know, regular legitimate business world. And I'm happy to pay the extortion fee for the part I choose to partake in. And I'm happy to let you go all in on it if you leave me alone. Um, and the more I can do on the other side, the less I have to pay to play in your world. But I just, like you said, and, and any hope I had, COVID gave some of it back and took a lot of it away. The willingness to not only go along, but to, to monkey police your fellow monkey. The people running <laughs> yeah. around and telling people to wear masks and shit. And I noticed something. There was a direct correlation between the size of the person not wearing the mask and the number of people willing to say something to him about it. 
because exactly zero fucking people said a word to me about not wearing a mask. But I saw a lot of older people, smaller people, weaker people, people that just carry themselves a little bit less assertively, literally assaulted over this bullshit. And it, it, it shows a very much a pick and choosing of who you're going to intimidate, but a willingness to attack the weak and vulnerable that you think you're protecting. It, it was a, it was a really tr traumatic thing for the country. And I just wonder how many of these people have terminal Stockholm syndrome now. Yeah. So to kind of go back to, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the start of that. So ultimately we, we can't make a horse drink, right? We can lead them to water. We can't make them drink. Not everyone is going to want the freedom or the liberty. Um, and ultimately that, that is the goal. If, if somebody chooses to be a part of the state, I have no right to tell them no. What, what makes it unethical and immoral is the fact that I don't have the option to opt out without the threat of, you know, force, losing my freedom, uh, possible death being used against me because I'm not choosing to be a part of that system. Um, I, you know, even with school choice, I am a hundred percent okay with, uh, you know, you know, each state having state ran school, public schooling system that, that is, uh, you know, funded through taxes as long as it's open to the free market. I have no problem with that because I believe these other options are going to quickly kill that option uh, through people leaving and going other places that are cheaper and better. So that's that that's one thing why I was drawn to you and your community is because of the the, the agorism, the, the parallel um, economies. There are ways for us to opt out without having that uh, threat of violence or uh, losing our freedom. Um, but a lot of people right now are trailblazers and we're trying to figure it out. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, people on of, audio, you're missing it and we're not even going to tell you. We're just going to roll on. <laughs> go, go ahead. So like, like I said, it took us a very long time to get here. It took, and it, and it will take just as long, if not longer to get back. What we do about it is anything and everything. We're the people fighting for it. If, if people want to come along, of course, we're, we're going to welcome them. We're going to try and save as many people as possible, but it's true. Not everyone's going to want it. But the thing is, is not everyone should or will have to want it for it to be successful. Um, it was a very small minority of people who started this country in the first place with the most radical idea of its time period. So, well, and I guarantee you King George looked at the founding fathers and said, they're anarchists, right? Yeah. I guarantee you that was the word traitors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, I, I think the the best option for people honestly is, do whatever feels right for you and make yourself less dependent upon these systems that they have made us dependent upon. Um, you know, I was, I was reading, uh, I, I pretty much just read history books is pretty much all I read. Um, 
not not really into fiction. I, I like some, but not much. Um, and I was just uh, reading about how the, the, the government used to uh, advertise for people growing their own freedom gardens, you know, um, during the Cold War, World War II, uh, even earlier. And at, w- at one point in time, uh, there, there were estimated to be around 20 million home gardens that grew about, I, I think they said, 40 or 50 percent of the U.S. food uh, needed. And it was all home gardens. Um, not to say that the, the government was moral or less, uh, unethical back then. However, now there's laws against growing your own food, collecting your own rainwater. Um, so it seems very malicious. They, they are trying to make us all dependent upon them because if we're not dependent upon them, they have no purpose. So I think they are coming up on a moment of being illegitimate. And they will, they're, they're being backed into a corner and they will do everything and anything to keep their power over us because they know that they don't have actual power. It's all fake. They have made everyone believe that they do. And honestly, that's what I'm trying to break. I'm trying to break as many people out of that thought process as possible. Yeah. And I think it's good for people to realize that it doesn't have to be. A purist view, as I say, I often tell many of my fellow anarchists, like your purism is is pushing people away from what we're trying to do. Um, I, I would never sideline someone like yourself, even though you're still in the political process and I'm not. We are far more alike than we are different. And everybody mm-hmm. has their own journey in their own way. And the person that's doing what you're doing can still partake in the parallel economy and the person in the parallel economy can still make room for the person that's still, you know, outside of it a bit and working in the existing system. Uh, I think that if we don't do that, we have no hope because if you want to see an argument, put 10 libertarians in a room and you'll get at least five arguments, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. we're really good at arguing over the 1% of shit that we disagree with. As far as outlaw <laughs> growing food, come and take it, bitches. That's all I got to say with that. Like you're, yeah. you're not getting it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to be done yet. I appreciate you being with us today. Again, tell people the name of your show, where they can find it, and we'll have links to all your stuff in the audio version that will go up about an hour after this ends. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, it was a great pleasure. Uh, like I said, I really enjoy your show and your community. Um, so it, it, it was awesome. Um, so my show is called Rise to Liberty Podcast. Um you can find me pretty much anywhere. Um, we uh, live stream YouTube, Rumble, DLive.TV. Uh, you can find me most active on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Telegram. Um, you can go to risetoliberty.com forward slash links, and that will bring up pretty much everywhere I am. Uh, I do have backups for all of these things, so when the hammer does start getting dropped on some of these places, they won't get rid of it. So gotcha. I, I got hey, backups for everything. To another, good on you, but uh, technical assistance here. You mentioned D Live. Can you stream there with RMTP? Could I just add that to StreamYard? Mm-hmm. Oh, because I've been looking yep. for number eight. I I pay for the plan that gives me eight places to stream, oh, okay. and I'm on seven. So I'll take a look at that today. And again, I'll have links to your website, your podcast. Your store, your YouTube, your Rumble, 
all your stuff in the show notes today. And, dude, thanks for being with us today. Yes, anytime. And uh, it's your turn to come on my show, so we'll we'll work that out. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, get on an email with me, and we'll, we'll figure out when we can make that happen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Well, I enjoyed that discussion. Let's go ahead and wrap things up today. I want to remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, there's two ways you can help us out. One is just do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. It's easy to remember. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go there, start your shopping there. No matter what you buy online, you'll help us out. You can also find all my reviews. Today's item of the day is... Fisker's Kitchen Shears. I know it doesn't sound like a very preppy thing, but I believe that cooking is a skill set that every prepper should have. Uh, I'll tell you, when I was in the military, nobody was ever mean or nasty to the cooks, and everybody wanted to be their friend. You wanted to be friends with me because I was a mechanic. Guy that runs the motor pool, you want to be friends with the supply sergeant. You want to be friends with the cooks. Those were kind of the three people that could always get things done, including putting food in your belly. So cooking's important, right? No one's ever mad at the cook unless the food's not there. And one of the great tools to have in your kitchen is a good set of kitchen shears. And you'd think it's just a simple thing, but there's a few things I have to have in kitchen shears. And I used to recommend a brand called Red Yeti. They don't make them anymore, unfortunately. The Fiskers are just about as good. One, they have to have micro serrations so that they, they're not just sharp, but they stay sharp. Two, you have to be able to take them apart. You have to be able to take them apart because you have to be able to clean them because I'm going to one day be cutting up herbs with them and the next day cutting the backbone out of a spatchcock chicken. What's a spatchcock chicken? It's a chicken that's flattened out with the backbone cut out of it. And I don't want chicken's cank on my shears the next day when I'm cutting herbs with them again. They have to have a lot of power and that take apart thing. It's a weird thing. I don't get it. But there's some decent shears. You start using them in the way they come apart just a standard operation, they'll come apart in your hands while you're using them. That's the no-go for me. The Fiskers meet every requirement that I have across the board. Uh, they are my absolute favorite in this thing, and today they're on sale for 16% off. Not 60 or 50 or even 40, only 16 points, but right now every bit of money helps. And there's not a lot of stuff on sale right now because everything's in short supply. If you do not have a good set of Fisker shears uh, or kitchen shears in your kitchen, get them. And when you start using them, it'll change the way you think about how you handle things in your kitchen, especially if you are someone who's meat-centric. You'll find that a good pair of take-apart ones that you can... I mean, I just take mine apart throw them in a the dishwasher. You will see some people complain and saying, they rust, they rust. Well, there's a little screw that holds on the little wing nut that makes the little take-apart thing work. And, and the shears themselves won't rust. They really can't. Um, but that little screw can rust. It's called oil. Things that rust, you put oil on. And oil on a moving part is a good idea. And I don't use any special oil or nothing. I just throw a little olive oil or, uh, you know, uh, Whatever I'm cooking with at the time, even a little blob of lard on there to keep it nice and lubed up and to keep it from rusting. So, no, the shears themselves can't rust, so don't listen to those reviews. Those are stupid people who shouldn't be allowed to talk to people, in my opinion. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap up. Oh, again, if you also, if you want to save money, remember, join the MSB. And I'm just saying, if you go to the survivalpodcast.com forward slash exit, which is all my resources from Exit and Build. There just might, may not be, but there might be a discount code there right now for my membership program. With that, hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll be back tomorrow with the Expert Council Q&A show for the week. 
And with that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Show you a better way